Hello, this is Vaish Sarathi, and today we'll be mapping assumption of competence on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Vaish Sarate. Dr. Sarate is a functional nutrition practitioner and science educator and the founder of Project Swastya, a functional nutrition practice for children, and plum pudding chemistry, an inclusive chemistry teaching practice. She comes to functional nutrition with a mission to reframe health, cognition, and optimal function for children with disabilities. Her perspective is shaped by her non-speaking 12-year-old son with diagnoses of Down syndrome and autism, but who happens to be a smooth poet with a sharp wit. Vaish's TEDx talk, Who Decides How Smart You Are, which you'll find linked in the show notes, talks about the value of assuming intelligence. It's been hailed as mind-blowing, powerful, and eye-opening by parents and practitioners alike. Vaish believes that sound nutrition and an equal education are the birthright of every child and no functional practice is possible without truly assuming competence. I'm also proud to share that Vaish is a graduate of the Functional Nutrition Lab's Full Body Systems Curriculum and a functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner. Vaish, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you, Andrea. I'm really excited to be here. This is such an interesting topic, and I'm wondering, Vaish, if you can first define what you mean by assumption of competence or intelligence. This is a topic that I stumbled into because of my life, but the assumption of competence is, as I define it, assuming that a person is capable of intelligence, capable of work, capable of whatever you want them to be capable of, regardless of whether there's evidence supporting it or not. This is especially true when you're dealing with children that do not have the capacity to communicate, but it can mm. be true for anybody, especially for those of us that work as teachers and students, regardless of if the students are adults or children. But the place that it becomes incredibly valuable and relevant is when you're working with children with disability. Tell a little bit about your backstory. What led you to this place where you realized there was kind of a transition point where maybe you weren't assuming competence and then you were woken up to the fact that you could or should? I have a son who is 12 and a half right now. His name is Sid. Sid has multiple disabilities. So these include Down syndrome, autism, especially the Down syndrome part is historically associated with intellectual delay. And this had been drilled into my mind since his birth. However, I'm not that kind of a person that takes other people's labels and takes them on myself. So I never actually assumed anything but the best for Sid. But Sid also has a suspected diagnosis of cerebral palsy and coming with all of these three diagnoses and poor visual skills, he has really poor fine motor, which means that he has a hard time expressing himself. 
and I don't mean verbally because he's completely non-speaking, but even in terms of gestures, he doesn't have signs, he doesn't have gestures, he doesn't even have very many facial expressions other than pure delight and pure anger. Mm. So only in extremes is he able to express himself. So at this point, we as a society rely on external expressions. I had to kind of agree with everybody that was seeing Sid. And we were famously told at the time that Sid was in the point one percentile intellectually of his peers, which is like, you know, fantastic if you think about it now. But I had to agree that that was the case at the time because we saw no sign of intelligence. And therapists used to say, and they still say, after everything, even if he did something, we're not sure how much he understands. And I would actually, you know, toe that line and I'd be like, yeah, we don't know how much he understands. We probably doesn't understand very much. And I treated him like that until it was like a multi-pronged thing. Like it's just like universe speaking to you, right? Different things happening at the same time. I right. heard of this remarkable lady. Her name is Soma. She's a remarkable educator who thinks very much outside the box. And she's working with children that were non-speaking who responded really well. She's like the mother of presuming competence. At the same time, there was this exam that I was required to administer to Sid that I did very grudgingly through multiple choice and he batted at the right answer. And this was what I would have thought like leagues above his intellectual level. So at that point, a light bulb went off in me. And you know, everybody was saying, we're not sure all the time, we're not sure how much he understands. And then that was when the spark lit in me that why do we need to be sure? Why is this suddenly about us? Why do hmm. we need to know how much he understands? What happens if we just assume he understands? Let's say that was not a fluke. Let's just presume that he just gets everything. When I made that mind shift, my world blew up into a million pieces because suddenly not only did he show me that he understood, he performed at levels I couldn't fathom until then. And so that led to my big discovery that I'm constantly talking about is that the assumption of intelligence reveals intelligence. I'm just thinking, Vaish, about what this was like for you as a parent and what it was like for Sid to be seen and how we kind of play this forward outside of your situation into working with any child, like you said, with disabilities or not, or any person, any patient, what our assumptions are doing or impeding in a healing process. One question that should never be asked as a practitioner or an educator is how much does he understand? Because most of the time we're actually asking this question in front of the child. But regardless of the child is present or not, as a parent, I find this the most insulting question that can be ever asked. How much does he understand? Does he really get it? Was that a fluke? What a child understands depends on how well a person can communicate. So I feel like we need to move into the fact that the onus is on us, not a child with a disability to understand. So the onus is on the parent, the educator. Can you communicate it to the child? Coming back to the concept of where this links into functional medicine, we're in a very unique space where we understand that gut inflammation, gut dysbiosis is yes. extremely prevalent and is everywhere in everybody, but especially in children with autism, there's research. We know there's gut inflammation. We know there's neuroinflammation. We're in a very unique situation to probably be one of the very few people that can actually make an impact in these children's life because there's not that many modalities that work with chronic inflammation. A lot of you know, mainstream medicine perhaps doesn't even recognize some symptoms of autism as chronic inflammatory. So we are in a unique position to help these children from a very root cause scenario. But we are also coming to this situation with a complete lack of respect for the child. And this isn't consciously. I don't think anybody, any practitioner really doesn't respect a child. 
I think everybody wants to respect them. They're coming in with the right intentions. But there's so many functional medicine practitioners that I enormously respect for their work in this. People have said for children with pathological picky eating that they should just be starved. And they say this on social media. I've been like following people or that they should be given behavioral intervention through some techniques that adult autistics have now come and told us have been incredibly abusive to them. So a lot of functional medicine practitioners are actually entering this realm, assuming that the child is broken. And we don't do that with anybody else. We don't do that with women that have autoimmune conditions. We don't do that with any other situation that we approach. However, I feel that we're approaching this scenario with a piece missing and the child isn't motivated. You're right. just talking about fixing a child who doesn't feel respected. And I don't think healing is going to happen in that environment. Or doing an intervention to them as opposed to for or with them. So what I'm thinking uh, about knowing everything that you've done, Faish, to support Sid and the community of children that you support is that you are looking at the gut. You are looking at the inflammatory cascade. You are looking at oxidative stress and detox and you're looking at the environmental inputs. And at the same time, you're saying this does matter. I think a lot of people are putting aside the difficulties of making diet and lifestyle change because they don't think it'll matter or that the kid won't do it. And I am thinking that assuming competency allows you to work with the child through the changes that will support them versus imparting it to them or on them or just letting it go because you think they won't do it. Is that a correct assumption? Absolutely. I think, like you said, assumption of competence goes everywhere. The competence to choose the food that's good for them, the competence to stick to a diet, despite, I mean, all of these inflammatory diets are incredibly addictive. And just because you fail initially doesn't mean anything. So assuming that this child deserves sound nutrition and uh, optimal gut health. So where does assuming competency sit for you on the matrix? It permeates every part of the soup section. Yes. We can be very specific about, you know, the mind, spirit, emotions, community, that part of the matrix in the soup. But honestly, we all know that stress affects every one of these areas. I don't think there is a part of the soup portion of the matrix that is not impacted by the assumption of competence. And when I talk about stress, I wanna be a little bit more clear what I mean. Here's the thing, a lot of these common labels, especially autism, but also Down syndrome and sometimes cerebral palsy impact fine motor functioning. This seems to be one of the areas that's most commonly impacted. And fine motor is how we express ourselves. Everything from gestures to expressions to speech. It's very important to understand that speech is a fine motor activity. It's an incredibly complex fine motor activity. So when you see a child that is apparently unresponsive to anything that you say or do, like Sid presents like that a lot, what you're really seeing is not a cognitive issue. You're seeing a fine motor issue. And however, almost all of these children are treated like they are furniture. When therapists come, when educators come, when healers come, because they are just part of a thing to be fixed. Imagine people talking about you, trying to make changes to your lifestyle, denigrating your cognition. At the same time, you're going to school where you're learning the ABCs and the one, two, threes for years, just because nobody has had the ability to figure out how you can effectively move on. There's an incredible amount of stress in in an autistic child. It's incredible. A lot of the anxiety, a lot of behaviors come from this root cause. So we can do everything we want to 
address anxiety in terms of gut health. But unless we affect this core idea of the child being understood and heard, there's really nothing that is rooter than any of the root causes. Yeah, it's so important what you're talking about for children on the spectrum and with disabilities. But I also think, Vaish, about what my husband went through. Isamu was treated like he was a dead man walking or couldn't understand what was happening in the room because he had a brain tumor. So the doctors would speak to me and I would constantly direct their eyes back to him. He was completely <laughs> competent even though he couldn't walk right or get his motor skills working it looked like he was a little drunk right or we mm -hmm. do see histories of women with autoimmunity or hormone issues being treated like they're hysterical versus telling some truth so I think this permeates and you're bringing it into a new realm where we have to wake up and be aware that there is competency and the level of stress for not being seen and heard is as you're saying tremendous. So take us into your story with Sid in terms of an outcome. And I know you've seen this in other children as well, but I just love how you share Sid's story and what you've now seen is possible when or after that light bulb went off. The primary thing is that now Sid and I are in a partnership. He is responsible for his health. He's still a child. I don't expect him to make the best choices as I wouldn't any 12-year-old. However, he will ask for cold water showers so that he can feel parts of his body that he doesn't normally feel. He'll stand in ice cold water for 10 seconds. He's still screaming, but he asked for it himself. Mm -hmm. He will consciously not choose foods that have gluten and dairy. Does that mean occasionally impulses don't get better of him? No, but he there's nothing being done to him. The outcome of which is that he is now initiating a lot more. He's initiating what he wants to do with his life. And he can focus on not just living his life, but what he wants to do in the future. He's taking the lead in his life about what he wants to do. He has things that he's working towards. He wants to publish a book on poetry. We just heard today that he might be speaking at the United Nations on World Down Syndrome Day. Oh, and well, Yes. Yeah, so when you have something to look forward to, it keeps you alive. It keeps you engaged. It makes you want to heal. It makes you want to function as not just an equal, but the primary partner in your own health. He's living his life. That's the outcome, as opposed to me dragging him through a life that he had no interest in. Vaish, mm, you're doing such important work. And the awareness of presuming competence is so important. Are there any other messages that you have for practitioners working with this population or with any population about this particular topic that you want to share? Yes. Often when you work with families that have children with disabilities, you will notice that even the parents don't assume competence because this is something that permeates the matrix of our society. One of the things that I encourage parents to do is to start off assuming competence even before they make dietary interventions or along with making interventions that you would consider healing because this is a primary healing factor. A lot of times when that intervention is made, when the parent's mindset shifts, everything else moves on. And it is an incredibly hard mindset to change, but it's as important. Beautifully said, Vaish. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Andrea. My pleasure.
The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll drop into your inbox with a really short reminder that a new episode is ready and waiting for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. And before you go, I want to mention that enrollment for the March cohort of Functional Nutrition Labs Full Body Systems ends soon. Full Body Systems is the comprehensive online functional nutrition immersion that shows you how to be the last stop on your client or patient's health journey and become that go-to health practitioner that other clinicians trust to send any client, even the toughest cases. I created this program for coaches and clinicians who are truly ready to integrate the science and art of functional nutrition into their practices with education, mentorship, and community support. Hey, you do not need to be out there doing it alone or trying to find solutions any longer. Join our community of over 4,000 practitioners doing change in healthcare. To learn more, go to signup.fxnutrition.com forward slash schedule. There you can speak with one of our dedicated admissions advisors and get your unique questions about the program answered.